My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Jamie Swift and Judy Wyatt. One of the core political priorities for the recently departed conservative government of Stephen Harper was a persistent, multifaceted push to militarize the culture and Canadian national identity. From rewritten citizenship guides, to ludicrous monuments, to PR efforts both directly state-run and also outsourced to allied public figures and institutions, the push was relentless. It's certainly debatable how successful these efforts were, particularly after the first few years, and some of what they did was downright laughable. Nonetheless, the very act of getting away politically, with forthrightly championing such blatant celebration of war and such crude international belligerence, both historical and contemporary, itself marked a shift in the dominant political culture in Canada. At the same time, though, it's also important to be clear-eyed about the continuities. For all the change in tone and in certain kinds of details, a somewhat differently shaped Canadian state complicity in militarism, war, and empire has a long, long history under governments of all parties and all through the long decades when the official government line was filled with highfalutin phrases of harmony and peace. The group PeaceQuest was founded in response to these militarist excesses by the Harper government. But the people who founded it are no stranger to the longer trajectory either, as many of them have been involved in working against war and for peace and social justice in the Canadian context for decades. In the aftermath of the lavish state spending on militarist propaganda during the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812, this group of longtime peace and social justice activists in Kingston, Ontario, including Jamie Swift and Judy Wyatt, recognized that the approaching series of centenary dates of events that happened during the First World War would be a prime opportunity to engage in commemorations and in other sorts of public interventions in ways that promoted not war and militarism and empire, but peace. They've engaged in an impressive range of activities, including streams of work related to faith, culture, policy, and education, as well as catalyzing the formation of affiliated groups in a number of other Canadian cities. Though the Harper government lost in October and took its warmongering tone and style with it, there are plenty of indications that the new government's, quote, sunny ways are a reversion to the practices of late 20th century Canadian liberalism's complicity in war under the cover of pro-peace messaging. Despite, for instance, a campaign promise to immediately end Canadian bombing in Syria, it continued, with multiple credible reports of resulting civilian casualties, until well into 2016, and even then the end was announced as part of a larger package of changes that actually deepened Canadian involvement in the conflict and the new government has curtly refused to prevent the largest arms sale in Canadian history of armoured vehicles to the despotic regime running Saudi Arabia. Needless to say, the folks involved in PeaceQuest have no plans to scale back their activities. 
Swift and Wyatt talk with me about Canadian militarism, the politics of commemoration, and PeaceQuest's efforts to promote peace and justice. We spoke by Skype to phone from Kingston, Ontario. My name is Jamie Swift. I live in Kingston, Ontario. I've worked for quite a few years as a writer, and I now work on a part-time basis with the Sisters of Providence here in Kingston on social justice issues, and I teach a course at the School of Business at Queen's. I went to the University in Montreal starting in 1968, so that was a fairly busy time for social activism and the political left. I got involved in a group called Project Anti-War, and we produced a uh, large document in 1972, I believe, detailing Canadian arms production, going to the U.S. military at the time of the war in Vietnam. I went to a couple of the major anti-war demonstrations in Washington in the late 60s and was involved with a group of people who went and blockaded the American border down at the Vermont border, uh, southern Quebec, Vermont, at the time of the Amchitka nuclear test in the Alaska area. I think that would have been 1971, but things are starting to fade. So I've been involved in political activism ever since. A lot of that has taken me into the world of writing, so I've written a dozen or so books on Canadian social and political issues, as well as helping to found Between the Lines, which is a radical publisher based in Toronto that is now 39 years old and counting. My name is Judy Wyatt. I'm a retired high school English teacher. I live in Kingston, Ontario. I'm with Jamie, a co-founder of something called the Poverty Challenge. That's an attempt to introduce people in the community to what it's like to live in urban poverty. And I'm a full-time social activist. When I decided it was time to have children, and I was in my mid-30s, I was rather alarmed by the state of the world, and I was very concerned about the arms race, particularly nuclear war. And at that point, I thought, if I'm going to bring children into this world, I better do so by making my concerns about the world at that time known. And so in 1979 or 1980, I and a couple of other people founded Kingston Operation Dismantle. And we were a local group, part of a national group created by Jim Stark called Operation Dismantle. And we worked very hard to educate the public about the dangers of nuclear weapons. And in fact, we had a referendum as part of our civic election in the early 80s in which people were encouraged to vote in favor of the idea of making Kingston, Ontario a nuclear weapons free zone. And we were really successful at that. And that sounds kind of silly, perhaps, Kingston, Ontario was a nuclear weapons free zone. But I thought was the 401 travels through Kingston. And so part of the project was to make sure that no aspect of the production of nuclear weapons could take place in our city using the 401. So I've been involved with peace issues ever since the early 80s. So... Beyond the more obvious things like the Harper government's enthusiastic participation in military interventions of various kinds, paint me a bit of a picture of the broader push by the Conservatives to militarize Canada that was sort of the broader context in the years leading up to the founding of PeaceQuest. One of the things that Ian and I noticed when we did that Warrior Nation book and the Ian that Jamie Swift is referring to here is his co-author on Warrior Nation, historian Ian Mackay. 
was the citizenship guide that the Harper government put out two or three years after it initially came to office in 2006. There's a heavy emphasis on the military, a heavy emphasis on the monarchy, a heavy emphasis on Canada's participation in various wars as crucial to the Canadian nation. That was a really major signal. Also, they renamed the military the Royal Canadian Air Force and the Royal Canadian Navy, and they were really, really pushing martial values. And I think, as people would subsequently recognize, the Harper government was extremely authoritarian and anti-democratic, and I think you could make the argument that the essence of the military and militarism is not all about democracy, it's all about authoritarianism and a sort of a top-down, centralized view of the world. Those were some of the cultural signs. You know, you have the Don Cherry-ism and the fly-pass at football games and parading soldiers out at hockey games and all this kind of thing. And of course, when it came down to looking after the victims of war, the soldiers who come back scarred physically and emotionally, the Harper government's commitment to them was, shall we say, paper thin. So this kind of hypocrisy was something that we noticed, and that's what motivated people a lot. I think one of the reasons it was easy to get people together is people read those signs of the times of that previous government and felt the need to do something, to put together another story of Canada. And that story is not all about war all the time. It's more all about people's popular struggles for peace, nonviolence, and reconciliation. How did PeaceQuest get started? In 2012, a friend of mine and I published a book called Warrior Nation Rebranding Canada in the Age of Anxiety. And that coincided with the former Harper government's attempt to turn the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812 into a great Canadian patriotic spasm of martial nationalism. And since I worked part-time for the Justice and Peace Office of the Sisters of Providence and had been working mostly on social justice issues, anti-poverty work, together with some of the sisters, decided that it would be a good idea to put an emphasis on peace. So Judy and I and a handful of others got together and thought we'd start an organization called PeaceQuest, which we did in 2013. And the idea behind it is to promote the idea of peace in Canada and Canadians as people who've oft-times striven, promoted peace as a positive thing. This was right after Canada had pulled out finally of the disastrous war in Afghanistan, and we thought the, at the time, looming 100th anniversary of the First World War was an opportune moment to promote peace because our culture is in love with anniversaries, and the Harper government had done this, I think, futile attempt to make the War of 1812 into this great celebration. We thought that, well, why don't we try to talk about peace and hook it in some ways to the various anniversaries, centenaries of World War I, particularly leading up to the anniversary in just over a year, the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge 
which is seen by some people as a great patriotic Canadian moment. And tell me about the practical side of getting things going, how you brought people together, first action, that kind of thing. We took a look at our Christmas card list, I suppose, and looked down our list of friends and thought who might embark on this endeavor with us, who had different talents to bring to it. And so we invited a bunch of people to a potluck dinner, and there was a good representation of people from cultural groups in Kingston and politically active people in Kingston and other people who are writers and enthusiasts of various social justice issues. It's quite amazing how many of that first group of people who came to our potluck dinner are still with us a number of years later. We've got a robust steering committee, and we have so many projects. It's really quite impressive. Our initial little ceremony that we had in the city park in Kingston, which is Kingston's main park downtown that has three war memorials in it, and there's a war memorial just across one of the streets. That was our first public statement, if you will, to put a permanent marker down. We put a stone in the ground, a permanent marker. We hired a tombstone company, so our message is literally carved in stone. And the message reads, can you help me here, Judy? Mm -hmm. Grieving the tragedy that is war committed to the promise that is peace. That's in both official languages. We couldn't fit an indigenous language onto the stone, but we were working on that front as well. That was a very windy, blustery, rainy, sideways raining day. And we had more than 100 people there and an indigenous presence as well in our ceremony. It was lovely to see the turnout. And we've since marked that spot on International Day of Peace, September 21st, and it's become a gathering spot. Peace Quest has four streams to it, and each stream works independently, but also together as a larger organism. So we have a faith stream, and we have an education stream, and a policy stream, and a culture stream. And so we try to make many opportunities for people to join our events, just supporting them wherever they are from what particular lens they see the world. So the Faith Stream is a gathering of people from many different religions and faith traditions. They meet regularly to plan events that involve themselves, of course, and other faith groups. There have been pilgrimages from church to church and religious events that have been held together, stressing the commonality of the desire for peace among all religious and faith groups. The education stream has taken off really, really well. There's an opportunity to have one school registered as a PeaceQuest school. So we provided a list of activities that would signify that you are a PeaceQuest school, suggestions of things that can be done over the course of the school year. And we've created very extensive curriculum materials that support peace education from kindergarten right up to post-secondary education, and those are all found on our website. Both school boards support PeaceQuest, and we've had the opportunity to bring the idea of PeaceQuest right into schools. And we have a policy stream. For example, we've decided to support the creation of a federal department of peace, and there's already a national working group working on that, so that's something that PeaceQuest supports. We've talked about rededicating the Peace Tower as an important national statement to make. And very soon we're going to have an evening of letter writing in a local pub, encouraging people to write letters to the new government, congratulating them on their win, and suggesting four or five different ways that Prime Minister Trudeau and his government could be a government for peace. And then finally, we've got our culture stream. And through the culture stream, we've had numerous events, concerts, film screenings, book talks, talks about the art of World War I, and these are well attended by the public. 
And by having these four different streams, I think we've really made ourselves available to the community and reached more people than we would have if we had not had the four streams. I think one of the things we've tried to do is you know, we realize we're not a very big outfit. So what we've tried to do is make common cause with existing groups based in the community, like, say, choirs or theater companies or religious organizations, faith communities, so that we're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but we're trying to make common cause with them so that we can fit in with their programming. Our effort around peace, it's not simply anti-war, but it's promoting the idea of peace. When we started PeaceQuest, we thought it would be wrong-headed to start an organization about promoting peace unless we could describe what it was. So we struggled with a definition of peace, but then we figured, well, we don't want to be rigid enough to have a definition, so we thought we'd have a description of peace. And I think our description of peace is something like an active way of living. Help me with this, Judy. Resolving all conflicts cooperatively to the benefit of all the world's people and our Earth. It's sort of a broad conception of peace. Peace is not just the absence of war. Peace is social justice. Peace is struggling for a more respectful way of treating the natural environment and treating each other as a society. So it implies a certain amount of egalitarianism and participation, which are values that I think most of the people who are involved in our initiative would share. So it sounds like you have way more going on than we'll be able to talk about in depth today. But maybe to give listeners a bit more of a sense of what you're about, why don't you talk in a bit more detail about, say, the education stream and the work that you do with schools? Oh, there are so many things that students can do. Students are often engaged in exercises such as their own version of our white square. Our symbol of our organization is the white square. We thought about what it could be, and we were remembering at the time when we were talking about this, the success of the student movement in Quebec, and theirs was the red square, and people who supported that student movement had a red square pinned to their coat or their jacket. So we've adopted that idea, and we've called it the white square, and we've chosen white for its association in many, many ways with peace and peace doves and feathers and things like that. The white square activity asks somebody to complete the statement, in order for there to be more peace in the world, we need to, and the person who is completing the activity is asked to complete that sentence. And we give them a whiteboard and a marker, and they complete the sentence on the whiteboard, and we thank them for their idea. We give them a white square made out of felt to pin on their jacket, and then we take their photographs. Students can approach this task at all kinds of levels. In order for there to be more peace in our classroom, we need to. In order for there to be more peace on the playground, we need to. And so that's a very engaging way to involve students in this kind of activity. Students are planting peace gardens. Many schools have peace poles, which you can buy them online or you can make them. Generally, they have peace written in multiple languages on each four side of the pole. And in many schools, that's where conflict resolution takes place. If two are squabbling about something, they are encouraged to go to the peace pole and stand there and discuss their issue, taking turns listening to one another. There's also an opportunity in the curriculum to actually teach active conflict resolution. And I think that that is a skill that is as valuable or more valuable than all of the core subjects that we teach. If we were all trained in active conflict resolution, we would be better friends, we would be better parents, we would be better partners, 
We'd be better employers, employees. And once we have those skills, if our nation is involved in an international activity, a concern, a question about land use or rights or whatever is drawing us into conflict, if enough people were actually trained in conflict resolution, they would be far less willing to see their countries go to war because they'd say, wait a minute, there's a way to talk this out. And if I've got ideas about how this can be talked out and resolved, I should certainly be encouraging my government to take that approach as well, rather than leaping to military solutions for complex problems. So there are many resources out there on building peace in a classroom, encouraging parents to think about ways that they can bring peace into their families. And parents' nights, the activities of what it is to be a peaceful school are all often on display, and they're encouraged to think about becoming a PeaceQuest family. There's a list of activities that families could do at home. So based on some of the things that you've been saying and on things that I've read on your website, it sounds like one of the things that PeaceQuest tries to do is to recognize the association in the minds of many people between Canadianness and peace and to mobilize that for a truer realization of peace and justice. And what that brings to mind for me is some of my own experiences in doing anti-war organizing and similar kinds of things, even in the years before the Harper government started its efforts to militarize the culture, that one of the things that we often ran into is that that association between Canadianness and peace often actually made it more difficult to get people to see and acknowledge and resist the long history and present-day reality of Canadian complicity in all sorts of awful violence, whether that's colonial violence or other forms of state violence or imperialist violence or whatever. So talk more about that complicated, contradictory character of the association that many people make between Canadianness and peace. Certainly in places like Haiti in the past 25 years, Canada has performed quite a corrosive role. So I think the trick is to recognize those things, this corrosive, you know, I mentioned earlier on the Boer War where Canada went to help the British put down a bunch of white settlers so that a different bunch of settlers could take over and get at the gold and the diamonds. And at that time, the British, with Canadian complicity, invented the concentration camp and more Boer civilians, women and children, died in those concentration camps than Boer soldiers were killed in the war. Yet this is one of the wars that our current governor general has described as a struggle for freedom. We have to recognize those kinds of things and talk about them and point them out and expose them. But at the same time, we have to show that there has historically always been pushback against those things. So the current book, if you'll allow me to plug the book that's going to be coming out in the fall, The Vimy Trap, which will be subtitled Peace, War, and the Canadian Imagination, probes the way that Canadians reacted to World War I in the decades after World War I and the tremendous desire for peace among veterans and the broad populace, particularly in Quebec, but elsewhere too. The revulsion people felt and the incredible reluctance to enter World War II. So there was a big flurry of patriotic zeal at the start of World War I 
not the start of World War II, because people could see what industrialized warfare in an age of modernity looked like. So that Canada has this history of complicity. I mentioned the war in Vietnam, and many Canadians were proud that Canada, unlike Australia, was not a direct participant in the war in Vietnam. But as I also mentioned, Canadian companies profited mightily from the war. A Montreal knitting mill provided the Green Berets for the American Special Forces in Vietnam. So our history is mixed, and what we have to do is recognize how mixed it is, recognize the pushback, and recognize that the stories that we tell each other about those wars are always, will always be contested terrain, and that there will be different ways of telling the stories, and we're trying to tell those stories in a positive way, emphasizing peace and resistance and reconciliation. And when we bring our interest to the things that are happening today, we have to look at such things as the weapon sale to Saudi Arabia, which is the largest arms sale that Canada has ever made to another country. And it's very peculiar to me that we are such good friends with the Saudis. The Saudis who have such a terrible record of human rights and who've beheaded far more people in a month than ISIS has. And so Project Plowshares is doing a remarkable job of highlighting the shamefulness of this arms trade. So we have to bring the things that are going on today with our government to national attention as well. What are some of the things coming up for PeaceQuest that you're most excited about? We're very excited that soon we're going to be having a visit from PeaceQuest Regina. We, in our short history of life here, have been quite successful in making partnerships, affiliations, and in fact, founding other PeaceQuest groups in other parts of the country. And PeaceQuest Regina is a very, very active group, and they're working very hard to get the militarization of their high school curriculum changed. That's a very interesting project. We're going to put on a national conference in 2018. PeaceQuest is going to host a national conference, and we're really looking forward to that. We are also looking forward to our celebration of Canada's 150th birthday. PeaceQuest has two particular projects. The more simple and straightforward one is the encouragement of communities, schools, neighborhoods, individuals to either create a peace garden or plant a peace pole, or if they already have a peace garden in their property or a peace pole, to rededicate it with a ceremony. And the other project that we're doing for Canada's 150th birthday is that we want to recognize and publicize and honor the Canadians who have, through their work and endeavors, made the world or their community or Canada a more peaceful place. So we're going to roll out recognition of at least 150 Canadians. We're going to start that towards the end of January in 2017, one a day, and that will take us to July 1st. And then thereafter, we're hoping that local communities will continue for the rest of the year with their own submissions, and they can submit them to us and we will roll them out as well. But we're going to start with 150 Canadians, artifacts, organizations that have promoted peace in Canada or the world. You have been listening to my interview with Judy Wyatt and Jamie Swift of PeaceQuest. To learn more about their work, go to peacequest.ca. That's peacequest.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>